Why was Jesus baptized? Why did the Word have to become flesh and not just stay as Word? Why did God feel it necessary to come live with us, to dwell among us, and not just send spokesmen to us in the form of prophets and priests and Bibles? Why? Fourth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus, excuse me, third chapter, 13th verse. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am pleased. I am well pleased. Why did the sinless Son of God have to be baptized? Again, why did the Word become flesh and not just remain Word? Why did God come to live with us and not just send advice to us. Because He knows us. He really knows us. The Scripture says that Jesus knew what was in man. He did and does. He knows your needs, your hopes, your fears, your desires. He knows us so very, very well. He knows our sense of inadequacy inside us when 
we've been religious, we've been good, or tried to be. We've even been baptized as many thousands were by John the Baptist and his disciples there in the Jordan River. Many of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the priests, the Levites, tax collectors, soldiers, a great conglomeration of men and women, a heterogeneous group of people coming to John to be baptized, religious people, legalistic people, people who had engaged in religious ceremonialism and religious ritualism, but still inside that vacuum, that emptiness, that lack of fulfillment, that lack of satisfaction, that need for something more, more personal, more individual more inside us. Now Jesus, Jesus had sinner's knowledge without sinner's sin. Jesus had sinner's knowledge. He had a human body. One of the early church heresies in the early church was the heresy perpetrated by a group called the Docetics who said that Jesus was not really completely a man. He didn't really have a body. He was really God pretending to have a body. God acting like he had human flesh. But that is not true. That is not biblical theology. He had a body. When you cut it, it bled. When he heard it in the carpenter shop, he was bruised. He had to sleep. He had to eat. He got tired. He was tempted in every point, just like you and I are tempted. And two Sundays from today, in our preaching through this seven-month series on the life of Christ, I will be preaching on the temptations of Jesus. He was tempted in every way that you are tempted and that I am tempted. He could have succumbed to that temptation, I believe. He could have failed or his temptation was an act, a play. It was no act. It was no play. He was tempted as you and I are tempted in all points, yet without sin. He had sinner's knowledge without sinner's sin. How otherwise could he say that to look on a woman to lust after her in your heart is to commit adultery already? That's sinner's knowledge. Every man knew what he was talking about and knows what he was talking about. And he knew what he was talking about. How else could he say, how otherwise could he know that to hate someone is to commit murder in your heart? 
sinner's knowledge without sinner's sin. How did he know so much about pride? The temptation to self-praise. How did he know about coveting? Jealousy. He knew us, and he knows us, and he knows what we need. And so the baptism of Jesus was for him a moment of identification, a moment of identification. He became like us. Without sin, yet tempted. Without sin, yet knowing. It was a moment of identification when the sinless Son of God walked down to the Jordan Valley and to the banks of the Jordan River and said to John, I want to be baptized. I want symbolically to get in the stream with everybody else. I want to be where people are who hurt and who hunger and who look and who search and who are frustrated and who hope, I want to be with them. Baptize me. Not to wash away my sin, but to identify my ministry with people who are in over their heads. I don't need to baptize you, said John. True, said Jesus in so many words, but we need to do it to fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean by all righteousness? Becoming like us. We'd had lots of advice. Many prophets, many preachers, many writers, many words, many symbols, much religion. We needed somebody in the stream of life with us. I'm with you. Almost the final words of his life on the earthly scene were these. I am with you always. And he began his public ministry with this marvelous exclamation of identification. I am with you. I am for you. I am in the stream with you. I'm here to take your side. I love you. It was a moment of identification. It was also a moment of dedication. Never again 
Never again would he be a private person. Never. He would find a few segments of silence in his ministry when he would go off to the mountaintop early in the morning or stay up late at night. But from that moment on, to be jostled by the crowd, to be harassed and misunderstood and questioned and vilified, A moment of dedication, not to the life of the aesthetic, the ascetic, not to the life of the monastery, not to the life of indifference and Buddhist withdrawal from all human problems. It was a moment of intense dedication. To become a public figure and the most public figure who ever lived. Why? For us. For us. He loves you. So much so that there at the Jordan he dedicated his life to your salvation and to your redemption. And in the act of baptism prefigured his own death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the Jordan was prophetic of what he was going to do. The death, burial, and resurrection of these two this morning symbolized in baptism is looking back to what Jesus Christ did. We are caught in the marvelous redemptive parenthesis of the identification of Jesus Christ with us to die for us, to be raised from the dead for us, to be ascended to the right hand of God for us because he is for you. He's on your side. He's taken our place. We don't have to get to him. He's come to us and got in over his head all the way to the bottom of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. All the way to hell itself. The ultimate death for his own salvation? No. For his own glorification? No. For his own redemption? No. For yours and for mine and for the glorification and redemption and salvation of the whole world. A moment of fantastic and intense dedication. A moment of identification, a moment of dedication, and a moment of confirmation. A moment of confirmation. Now, have you ever had a moment in your life, I feel sure you have, 
The potential is present this morning for such a moment. If we'll be susceptible to it. Have you ever had a moment in your life when truth seems to crystallize? When truth seems to solidify? When feeling takes form? When an idea becomes incarnate when the implicit becomes explicit. When you say, I see. Oh, I see. Or, I hear. I get it. The idea takes shape. The feeling takes form. The implicit becomes explicit. The idea becomes incarnate. The truth crystallizes. And you're confirmed in your soul. And you say... I can stand on that. I can bank on that. I can count on that. That happened at the baptism. Jesus baptized. And he comes up out of the water. And God speaks. It is interesting to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they all describe this experience. Matthew says that God said, This is my Son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Mark and Luke both say, You are my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Some would-be Bible scholars say that's a discrepancy in the Scripture. The problem is not in the Scripture. The problem is in their lack of perception about human experience and how it happens. For there was in that moment in Jesus' life as there is in that moment of the crystallization of truth in your own experience, in your own heart, and in your own life when there is that external, overt, objective, historic verification this is true, wonderful, marvelous, exciting this is true. But that's not enough to change the direction of my heart. That's not enough to fill the vacancy in my own soul. I need to know truth not only as objective and historic and external, I need to hear it inside my soul. 
truth is not truth until it becomes truth in me and to me and for me. We have the external verification of the life, ministry, and work of Jesus Christ. Look back 2,000 years, read the history, read the eyewitness accounts, read the secular confirmations of his life. That's not enough to change the direction of your heart and life. That's not enough to lift the burden of guilt. That's not enough to satisfy the thirsting of your own spirit and soul. It's not enough for me to say, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Something more than that has to happen. He has to live in me and rise in me and live in me for Christ. Christianity to become truth for me. God spoke overtly, objectively, historically, verifying for those who could and would hear, this is my son, I love him, I am well pleased with him. But down in that private area of conversation between father and son, in that area that our minds can only imagine, there in that moment, his father spoke to him. And he said, Son, I love you. And you're doing great. You're doing great. Stay with it. You wondered why 30 years of obscurity had to go. Those long years of laboring in the carpenter shop, wondering, son, I love you. And you're doing good. I knew my father loved me. I had all sorts of external evidences that my father loved me. I'll never forget a day seated at the dining room table at 6942 Mistletoe Drive in Dallas, Texas, when Charlie walked around, put his arm on my shoulder, reached down and kissed me on the head. I was about 15, 16 years old at the time. And he said... I love you. That moment is crystallized forever in my heart and mind. An idea became incarnate. A feeling took form. The implicit became explicit. And my sons and daughter will never get too old, too mature, too successful for me to say to them, not just with actions, but with words, Mike, Steve, Lisa, your father loves you. And you're doing great. A moment of confirmation. All right, now what does this mean for us? 
you'll grant me one more word, a word of application. I read from the baptistry a few moments ago in the sixth chapter of Romans these words. Now listen. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, we too may live a new life. Now listen. Jesus was God's Son as much before He was baptized as He was after He was baptized. Jesus was as much God's Son before He walked into those waters as He was after He walked out of those waters. And the same is true for everybody who is a Christian. Joe Medina was as much a believer, a follower, a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, a citizen of heaven, before he walked down those steps as he was after he walked up those steps after being baptized. For he had already received the baptism that made him a son. And the baptism that made him a son was only symbolically represented by those waters. The baptism that made him a son was when he was baptized into the Son. Into Christ Jesus. So our being baptized into Christ Jesus becomes for us the same kind of moment that it was for Jesus when he was baptized into water. It becomes a moment of identification. We are one of his sons now. We are identified not because of water baptism, but because of Christ's baptism. We are now identified as a son of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are now dedicated as was Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. The price of what? The price of water? No, the price of the Son. The price of His own death, burial, and resurrection pictured by those waters. So being baptized into Christ Jesus becomes for us what it was for Jesus, a moment of dedication and it becomes for us likewise a moment of confirmation. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And when we are baptized into Christ Jesus, identified with God, dedicated to God, we are confirmed in Him by the voice of His own Spirit saying, You are my Son. I love you. You're doing great. And my dear friends, such an experience of identification, dedication, and confirmation is essential if you're going to live tomorrow an effective life. 
When this building was completed about 17 years ago, we, building committee and I had selected the symbols to go in the stained glass windows. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that or not. We've not pointed it out very much. This window over here is the barred door. This picture is the no room for the inn in, in the life of Jesus. You see the closed door. You see the rows of Sharon there. All the stained glass windows on this lower floor depict the life, significant events in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see the second window there, the carpenter's tools. You see the saw on the table when Jesus worked as a carpenter shop. You see that third window? You see the dove descending? Some of you up there cannot. You can come down. Well, don't do it right now. Come down later and look at it. There's water there. It is a picture of Jesus' baptism. And then the next window back there, you see a flaming sword or, uh, and, and uh, uh, the symbols of a wilderness. That's the temptation of Jesus. The fine people who made these stained glass windows, and what a marvelous job they did, uh, came out and installed the windows got up here, over here in the building one day looking at it before we entered and began, and uh, Gordon Middleton was chairman of the building committee, and Gordon, you remember, I walked and I said, hey, they've got those two windows reversed. Well, no big deal, probably, to most people. A lot of folks don't know what they are, pay much attention to them, and we don't talk about them maybe as much as we should, but my friend, to say it's no big deal to get the temptation before the baptism is a big deal. It's a big loss. You'll lose. You'll never make it through the desert of life until you've been buried with Christ and resurrected to walk in a new kind of life. When you've heard the voice of God saying, You are my son, the desert will be for you a place of disastrous, ignominious defeat. but identified with God through Christ and dedicated to God through Christ and confirmed in God through Christ, my friend, you'll face the desert and like Jesus Christ, come away as a conqueror. Yea, more than conqueror. Peril to our souls it will be if you try to face the desert tomorrow without Christ today in thee baptized into Christ Jesus.